Well, welcome. You guys have endured to the end. Tonight is our last night going through Daniel. We'll look at chapter 12, the last chapter in the book this evening. And uh, I just have a knack for, you start 12 weeks ago, everybody starts out with enthusiasm. Yeah, I'm going to learn the Bible. Yes, this sounds like it's really going to be a good class. I'm going to know Daniel backwards and forwards when we get done with this. And then they just start peeling off one after another until I'm left with you guys. <laughs> the, die, the Lonely Hearts Club. <laughs> there you go. But you have endured to the end. Tonight is it. And then next week is the uh, Pinewood Derby. So those of you that have kids in that uh, uh, community kids age range, uh, they'll be doing that next week, 6 o'clock. There'll be a hot dog uh, dinner, dollar for your hot dog dinner. And then uh, 7 o'clock is the derby, derby itself. I think it does. I think it comes with a hot dog and chips. I mean, for a dollar, you should get chips, pop, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, sir. So Daniel 12 tonight, and we'll conclude the book. So you remember that uh, back in chapter 10, you probably don't remember, but back in chapter 10, uh, Daniel is on the banks of the uh, Tigris. He has left Babylon uh, about 35 miles and is probably there on business. But while he's there, he has a vision and he sees uh, an angelic figure that uh, gives a prediction to him about the future for uh, his people Israel. And those predictions have continued into chapter 11 and now into the final chapter as, as well. And the prediction that this uh, angelic figure gives beginning in chapter 10, the final revelation of the book of Daniel, uh, has two phases to it for Israel, God's people. One is a more near-term future and some of the things that are going to, to happen. And chapter 11 speaks of uh, a, a despicable person. <laughs> and that despicable person that's going to come in the future and is going to persecute uh, Israel uh, and the Jews is Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, he did indeed do that. And he did that in the second century B.C. And he did the things that Daniel uh, the book of Daniel prophesies that he would do, desecrates the temple. Uh, he refuses to allow the ceremonies of Judaism uh, to take place and generally uh, persecutes God's people, God's chosen people. But then the prophecy has this other phase that looks to the uh, long-term future and the kinds of things that the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, speak of and points to yet another person who will come, beginning in Daniel chapter uh, 11 and verse 36, Daniel 11:36, And there it speaks of a king in verse 36 who will do all that pleases him. Um, in fact, the King James says that uh, he will do all that he wills. And that's why he is called the willful king, because he has the power consolidated in himself to do whatever he wants. And the way, beginning in chapter 35, the way the prediction is worded, it's pointing now, as I say, to the distant future and to someone who does not fit the profile of Antiochus, but rather as someone who's going to come after him that 
the Bible calls elsewhere the Antichrist. So this is the one who's going to come during this, uh, to power during this seven-year period that the Bible calls the seven-year tribulation, uh, the great tribulation. And uh, he will rule the world for a period of time, and he is called the Antichrist. So beginning in chapter 11, verse 35, it begins to speak of the career of the, the Antichrist. And into chapter 12, how God is going to uh, come to the aid of his people Israel in the midst of the Antichrist doing all that pleases him. And so that brings us then to the final chapter, verse 1. At that time, so at what time? Well, at the time that the Antichrist is ruling, and at the time that uh, God's people, the chosen people, the Israelites are being persecuted, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Now, you may remember Michael showing up. The archangel, Michael, the only angel in Scripture referred to as an archangel. So in the hierarchy of angelic beings, he's apparently at the the top. And uh, Michael, the archangel, is referred to back in chapter 10 and verse 13. In fact, there uh, it talks about an angelic being, back in chapter 10, verse 13, who was wrestling with the prince of Persia. You guys remember that? And we saw that the prince of Persia, the way it's described there, is not uh, a human king, but rather is an angelic being that, in, uh, that has, uh, but, a, but an evil angelic being, a demon, that has been assigned to the area of Persia by Satan. So we talked a bit at that time about what Ephesians 6 refers to as principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and the fact that Satan has his emissaries, just as God has as angels. So both are angels in a sense, but you've got good angels and evil angels, or angels and demons as we normally refer to it. So chapter 10, verse 13, the prince of Persia is this evil angel seeking to work through the king of Persia to work his will. And there is this contest that goes on for 21 days until Michael comes and intervenes on behalf of this good angel so that then the good angel can proceed to uh, help Daniel uh, and his needs in chapter 10. So we saw Michael back then. We're going to see Michael again in the future, says this prediction. At that time, at the end, when the Antichrist is ruling and he is persecuting uh, God's chosen people, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, uh, will arise. Now that time is the end, but more specifically... That time is the middle of the seven-year tribulation. We've already seen a few times now, going back several weeks ago, that the Bible refers to this final seven-year period yet to be fulfilled. But it divides that seven-year period into two halves of three and a half years. And it refers to those three, three and a half years variously. In the book of Daniel, it's referred to a couple of times, as we're going to see tonight again, as a time, times, and half a time. <laughs> and, uh, and it's referred to in the book of Revelation as a, a time period of 42 months and 1,260 days. Uh, so in terms of days and months. And in Daniel chapter 12, a bit later, you see the 1,260 days uh, again. So this final seven years is divided into two halves of three and a half time a year times two years, so a total of three years and half a time, three and a half years 
42 months, 1260 days. And it's that time that Michael the great prince will arise. That is when, as we'll see, the Antichrist who has made a treaty at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation with Israel, a covenant, he will break the covenant in the middle of that seven-year period. And the last half of that seven-year period will be a horrible time of persecution at the hands of the Antichrist. So when verse 1 of chapter 12 says, at that time Michael will arise, that's the time it's referring to, middle of the seven-year tribulation. And notice what verse 1 says. At that time, Michael will arise, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then, until until that time. So you have this uh, period that is unprecedented. And the Bible speaks of this uh, unprecedented uh, period of time uh, in a number of number of places. If you have your, if you're able to juggle your Bible, uh, you can take a, a look at Zechariah. Excuse me, just look back at Daniel chapter seven. Turn back a few pages, Daniel chapter seven, and verse twenty-one. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And, and uh, the time came when they possessed the kingdom. And so you have this period of time when this, this horn is waging war and persecuting. Then you go down to verse 25. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. If you look at chapter 8, verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. Again, this is the, the Antichrist. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he'll destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. And then again in chapter 9 and verse 27. He again speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Remember when we looked at that? The seven is a seven-year period. And in fact, you go back to verse 24, it says 70 sevens are determined for God's chosen people. So 490 years, we saw that 483 of those have already been fulfilled, and you've got this one period of seven years still hanging out there, and that's referred to in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant with Israel for one seven-year period. In the middle, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so that's the, the period, back to you know, chapter 12 and verse 1, that is referred to in uh, 
Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, that is unprecedented. It's a time of distress that has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Jesus spoke of this time as well. Matthew chapter 24, you can turn there if you want. Otherwise, just listen as I read. But Jesus referred to this time period still yet to come in the time of Jesus. So, you know, here's Daniel in the 6th century B.C., and then you have Jesus walking the earth, of course, in the first century A.D. And yet this time, this unprecedented time, unprecedented time is um, still yet, yet future. And in verse 21 of Matthew 24, Matthew 24, For then there will be great distress, says Jesus, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Or to put it another way, God has determined exactly the length of those days. And if he didn't, then no one would would survive. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Who are we talking about? The Antichrist. He will, verse 4, oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And then Revelation chapter 13. I won't read that, but take the time to read it. But Revelation 13, verses 5 through 8. Revelation 13, 5 through 8. Again, speak of this uh, period of time where the Antichrist is ruling and, and persecuting. And so this willful king of Daniel chapter 11, beginning in verse 36, um, he is the ultimate persecutor of, of Israel. And then here's what it says back in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Now, it doesn't say specifically in the first three verses of Daniel chapter 12 that the rescuing, the delivering, the saving, those are all synonymous in Scripture. So your people will be saved. Your people will be delivered. Your people will be rescued. Who's going to do the saving? Who's going to do the rescuing? It doesn't say specifically that it's the work of the Messiah. But as you read the description and you compare that to what the Bible says later, it's clear that the one is who is ultimately going to rescue God's people, using, yes, Michael the archangel, but ultimately the power behind it and the one doing it is the Messiah. It is, it is Christ. Verse 1 says he's going to rescue, deliver Israel. Then verse 2 says he's going to resurrect uh, the dead. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. 
And then verse 3 says he's going to reward the righteous. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and, and ever. So it's Jesus who is, who's going to be doing this. And as a result, this brings uh, the, the, the message of the book of Daniel to a climax now in this last chapter. You know, he started out in captivity in Babylon. Chapter 2, he's given this vision of the statue, and God tells him the way world history is going to go with four world kingdoms, Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And then uh, he reminds Daniel that God's still on the throne and he is in control of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar by humbling both of them. You, you remember that. Uh, Daniel sees this image a few times of, or sees this vision a few times of the four world kingdoms. And these are times, now get this, these are times in these four world kingdoms where God's people, God's chosen people, Israel, are dominated by Gentile kingdoms. So God's chosen people, the Jews, are dominated in world history by these Gentile kingdoms. And in fact, at the time this prophecy is being given and Daniel's receiving this, they're in captivity to the first of those Gentile kingdoms in, uh, in Babylon and then, uh, later, and then later Persia and then going forward Greece and, and Rome. And so now it all climaxes, God having given that grand vision, Daniel having lived through part of it, God wants to show, beginning in chapter 8, but climaxing now in the last chapter, in chapter 12, that God has a plan for his people Israel to deliver them, to rescue them. So the Gentile nations have dominated Israel, but at the appointed time in history's darkest hour, the Messiah is going to come deliver them, rescue them, and then reign, reign forever. Now, this is a passage I do want you to turn to in this connection. If you can hold your finger in uh, Daniel 12 and you go to Romans in your New Testament, Romans chapter 11, and this idea of God's people, chosen people Israel, being dominated by Gentile nations. And notice what chapter 11 of Romans says. Verse 25, Romans 11, 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. Now, in the, in the NIV, it has a colon after conceited. Do you guys, if you have an NIV, you see that? It's got a colon there? Okay. I mean, it's just important. So I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. What mystery? Well, the one I'm going to tell you about after the colon. <laughs> okay. So here it is. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Now, let me stop there. Israel, God's chosen people, are experiencing a hardening against God, against the, their Messiah. This is why to this day, 2013, uh, Many Jews are even atheists. They might even practice Judaism, but are still but are atheists, and certainly uh, do not follow the Messiah. Do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. So they've experienced this hardening. That's what Paul is referring to. Two thousand years ago, that hardening was occurring. 
having rejected the Messiah just a few decades before this was written. So they experienced a hardening in part, but how long? Until, verse 25, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. The Bible speaks elsewhere of the times of the Gentiles. So the world is dominated by the Gentiles and Gentile kingdoms. And until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, many have been saved, people like you and me. And until that is, is done, but, but when that happens, when this kind of parenthesis now that we're in, where God is not dealing directly with his chosen people, Israel, but is accomplishing his purpose through this thing called the church. During this parenthetical period, that will end when the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And then God will turn his attention back to his chosen people, Israel. And that's what uh, Romans chapter 11 tells us. Notice again what it says. It says, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. What is that? What is that about? After this time that Daniel has predicted, back in chapter 12, Antichrist, last half of the Great Tribulation period, is horribly persecuting God's chosen people. But at the end of that, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah says, they, is a quote, they will look on him whom they pierced, and they will turn to him. And so those who are alive at the time will turn to their Messiah and see Jesus, the one they pierced, as their true Messiah, and will come and will come to him. God will gather them back spiritually. He will gather them, as we're going to see a little bit later, physically to the land that will be the kingdom and the land that he promised to, to Abraham. All Israel will be saved, as it is written, verse 26. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, that is, Israel. And this is my covenant, covenant with them when I take away their sins. Notice Paul's commentary in verse 28 about Israel. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. Now, as far as the gospel is concerned, you know, they've rejected the Messiah, they reject the good news that Jesus is the Christ. But then it says, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. So as far as election is concerned, what's that mean? We say God's what kind of people? God's chosen people. That means God's elect people. God has chosen to work out his plan through the Jews. And there is a, the times of the Gentiles right now in which they have been dominated by Gentile kingdoms and until the full number of Gentiles that God has elected are brought in, he will then turn again to his chosen people, Israel, for that for which he has chosen them. And that is for them to occupy the land and to rule for him and so on. And then uh, it says, because, verse 29, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. irrevocable. Um, so the gifts and calling of God. You know, God has said he's going to do this. That cannot be reversed. 
So God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of your people. I'm going to give you this land, all of that stuff. So that's got to happen. So when's it going to happen? After the Gentiles have in full number come in after the times of the Gentiles at the end of this parenthetical period in which God is working through the church and then he'll turn his attention back to Israel. That's what's being referred to then in Daniel chapter 12 that the Messiah is going to to do. He's going to resurrect to eternal life. He's going to reward. He's going to rescue his people. So how's he going to do that at that time? At that time, middle of the tribulation, Jesus is going to rescue his people. So how's he going to do that? Well, let me remind you of some ways the Bible says he's going to rescue his people. Sometime in the future, Israel's going to be persecuted in the middle of the seven-year period. The Antichrist is going to mercilessly uh, harass them. And he'll rescue his people in a number of ways. One, the book of Revelation says that Christ will supply two witnesses. Do you guys remember reading about that in the last book of the Bible? These two witnesses that will arise. And the Antichrist uh, will kill them, will kill these two witnesses. But they will be resurrected. And they will visibly ascend to heaven. This is in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11. So there'll be, how will Jesus rescue them in the midst of this persecution at that time? One is through the ministry of the two witnesses, through whom some of them will turn to Christ through that. But then also, book of Revelation tells us, that the two witnesses are going to have, of, of some of these who come to Christ as a result of their witness, it gives actually a number. Anybody remember the number? 144,000. 144,000. And um, by the way, if you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness, that 144,000, those are, they say those are the people who are saved, 140, period, 144,000. But there are no Jehovah's Witnesses in this group of 144,000, okay? It is all Jews who are in the tribulation period who have come to Christ as a result of the ministry of these two witnesses. So Christ rescues his people through the two witnesses, through the 144,000, he will, the book of Revelation says in chapter 12, he will nourish, uh, take care of the nation for 1260 days, whereas ultimately Satan's armies are going to be swallowed up by the earth. And those few believers who physically survive the great tribulation are going to be honored by Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 25. And some are going to be executed. book of Revelation says beheaded for the testimony of, of Jesus. And they'll be raised from the dead to, to reign with him. And so, end times. What's going to happen with God's chosen people, the Jews? Well, they're going to be mercilessly persecuted in the last half of that seven-year tribulation period. But Jesus is ultimately going to rescue them, and part of that rescue comes through the two witnesses, the 144,000, and other care that, that he administers to them. Notice what verse 2 says. It says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, 
others to shame, and to everlasting contempt. And so when it says that multitudes who sleep will awake, it says they sleep in the dust of the earth. So what's that talking about? They're dead. When they awaken, that means they are then uh, resurrected. So it's referring, referring to a resurrection. But notice it's not all of those who sleep in the dust of the earth are going to awake. Now, this is important, and I'm going to bore you with it for a while. They're not all going to awake at that time. So what is the time? Again, we're talking about the time of the tribulation period. And it says there's going to be a resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to, to shame. But I'm going to try to prove to you that they don't raise at the same, at the same time. Some of them raise at that time, and others will raise, and others will raise later. Now, why do we, now why do we say that? Well, the Bible gives actually a sequence of how it is that God's people uh, are going to be resurrected. Do you know there are multiple resurrections in Scripture? Multiple. I mean, obviously we know there's at least two. <laughs> it turns out there's a bunch, but there's at least two. I mean, Christ has been raised, right? He's already been raised. And we haven't been yet. So we know there's at least two. His and, and ours. But there's, there are actually more than that. So uh, let me list those for you after you see that the Bible actually just out and out says that there's an order of resurrections. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter. And the entire 58 verses are about that very theme, resurrection of the body. And notice what it says. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, what does first fruits imply? that there's going to be more to follow. One. So he's been raised, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. So there are going to be, there's going to be a resurrection, but it's going to go in turn. And what does the turn look like? Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and, and power. So the resurrection chapter suggests that you have this order of resurrections, Christ first, and then those who are resurrected at his coming. And then further passages in the Bible talk about other resurrections at other times. So let me give you some of those. Of course, Christ was raised 2,000 years ago. But this is a little, little known passage that uh, we don't hear much about. But in Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27, and uh, it's long about verse 52, Matthew 27, 52 and following, it says that when Jesus was raised, <clears throat> that graves burst open at that time. Did you, do you guys remember that? That there were people raised at the time Jesus was raised. 
So Jesus was raised, and then there were these, these old people who were believers, but they were believers from the Old Testament. You know, Jesus is starting the New Testament, right? With his life and death and resurrection. So these are believers from the Old Testament who died in faith, and some of them are raised. Well, why is that? Well, this is just a, this is just a foreshadowing of the resurrection that's going to happen, a full resurrection that's going to happen at the end. And showing that Jesus' resurrection is going to mean more people raised in the future. And some of them were raised right then. Matthew chapter 27. So when else, though, are people going to be raised? When are you going to be raised? Um, If you know Christ, if you die in Christ... The dead in Christ shall, I'm quoting, aren't I? The dead in Christ shall rise. That's what the Bible says. The dead in Christ shall rise. Where does it say that? First Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Again, those who fall asleep, that is those who have died. Verse 14, we believe Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So that's your resurrection there. You know, if the Lord doesn't come back before we die physically, which he could, but if he doesn't, then we will be raised at this time, at the trumpet call of of God. And it says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul says we who are alive at that time so he expects he says we who are alive he's figuring he'll be he'll be alive he's thinking this is happening you know god didn't give him the time and the first century believers thought this was going to happen in the first century many of them in their lifetimes but anyway we or whoever are alive at the time will not precede them as a matter of fact they will rise first they will rise and then it says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So they're raised, and we are raised as well, if we're still alive. Not a resurrection from the dead, simply a, a raising, a catching up. What's that known as? The rapture. So that's called the rapture. Now, why is it called the rapture? Um, sometimes you'll meet somebody who says, you know, do you believe, do you believe in the rapture? And your answer should be yes. And uh, then they will, they will, they think they have caught you, because they'll say, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. 
Okay. Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. <clears throat> but the Bible teaches that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We call that Trinity. And actually, if you had a Latin Bible, uh, you would find the word rapture in verse 17. <laughs> because that's where we get the English word rapture. It's from a Latin word. Uh, and it's from verse 17 when it says, caught up together with them. The word that's translated caught up in Latin is rapture. And that's why we call it rapture. So the Bible most definitely teaches a rapture. There is a catching up, a rapturing, meeting in the clouds. So if you're going to believe the Bible, if somebody says, do you believe in a rapture? Yeah, there is one. Now, when does that happen? Um, we believe, I believe, that it happens at the beginning of the tribulation period. At the beginning of this final seven-year period. Now, I don't have time to bore you with all the reasons I believe that. But one is, <clears throat> one reason I believe it is, back in Daniel chapter 9, remember Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy periods of seven are determined for your people, Daniel. Who are those people? Who? Who are Daniel's people? The Jews. Okay? So 70 periods of seven, 490 years, are determined for your people, the Jews, to do six things. And those six things are laid out in verse 25. And they all relate to the Jews. 490 years, 483 have already been done. Seven still awaiting, and those seven pertain to the same group of people the 483 did, the Jews. Remember that whole thing until the Gentiles are done that we read? So God's got this period of time now. He's working through the church, and then he's going to fulfill that last seven years related to the Jews. So that's part of the reason when I read about a group of people leaving, we're going to leave when God starts that last seven years related to the Jews. But also, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Revelation 3.10. It says there that God is, Jesus is actually talking, if you have a red letter edition, it's in red letters. And Jesus says, I am going to keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the earth. Keep you from. I wrote a paper on that verse when I was in seminary. And keep from means literally keep you out of that time of trial that's going to come upon the earth. So there are a number of reasons why I and lots of other people believe not only is there a rapture, but the rapture is going to happen at the beginning of this seven-year period. And this resurrection then of Christians, church, people who came to Christ during this parenthetical church age, they'll be raised, the dead in Christ. And those who are alive as Christians will be raptured. But there'll still be activity on earth. And what will that activity be? The seven-year tribulation. And it's two halves. <clears throat> Which then brings you to the fourth resurrection. First one is Christ. Second one is these Old Testament believers, some of whom were raised in Matthew 27 at the time of Jesus' resurrection. Third is 
the dead in Christ at the rapture. And then fourth, in the middle of the tribulation, the two witnesses. Remember I said they'll be killed, but they'll be raised? So those guys will be raised. In the middle, right in the middle of the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, you're going to have two groups of people who are going to be raised. You have the rest of the Old Testament saints, mostly Jews, obviously, people who were faithful, as God gave us the first part of the Bible, dealt with the nation of Israel. At the end of the tribulation, and those people who, during the tribulation, were killed for the testimony of Jesus. At the end of the tribulation, those people will be raised. And then there's still one last resurrection. <laughs> because everybody we've gone through have been believers so far, right? Old Testament believers, church believers, you know, Christ, all of that. What about unbelievers? That's actually the last resurrection. And you see this in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Verse 1, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. Revelation 20. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. They came to life. They were resurrected. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But notice verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Just in parentheses there. You see that? So this is the first resurrection. The first resurrection then is not, un, not these ones who are going to be a thousand years later at the end of the millennium. Um, unbelievers, when are they going to be raised? At the end of the kingdom, at the end of the thousand years. So, you've got all of these resurrections, and it's not until the very end, at the end of, the, um, at the end of what's called the millennium, the end of the thousand-year kingdom, that unbelievers are, are raised. Now, how do I know that it's unbelievers who are raised? It then goes on to tell us that there will be a judgment, and it will be called the Great White Throne Judgment. In fact, chapter 20, and I think it's, I think it's verse 12. Revelation 20. Verse 
Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this thing that these, uh, these folks are standing before is called the great white throne of, of judgment. And it's spoken of in verse number, in chapter 19, I believe. But don't, don't shoot me. Well, I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. So at the end of the thousand years, you have these multitudes, small and great, standing before the throne for, for judgment. And they, are, and they are thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades give up their dead because that's a resurrection. That's what death and Hades giving up their dead means. The sea gave up its dead. But this is a thousand years apart from this other this other resurrection. So the last resurrection is that of unbelievers and then the judgment for unbelievers at the great white throne. Now if you go back to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12. And Daniel says that some are raised to everlasting life and some are raised to shame. So verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, but not at the same time. So you've got these various resurrections, and those who are raised to shame and contempt, everlasting contempt, are raised at the end of the thousand-year kingdom that's spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. All right, verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Now what is that? What's that saying? When it says, Daniel, you are to um, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. When it says close up, it clearly can't mean hide it, right? because we're reading it. If he was told to hide it, he didn't do a very good job. So when it says to, to close up and to seal it, here's what it's telling Daniel to do. It's telling Daniel to protect and preserve what he's written down. Until the time of the end, this, this what you have been given is to be used by people now in the future. It's going to need to be protected and preserved until the time of the end so that they know what's going to happen uh, going forward. And the last part of verse 4 says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Now what's that referring to? Amos chapter 8 and verse 12. Amos chapter 8 and verse 12. 
says there will come a day when men will go to and fro to seek the word of, of the Lord. So when it says at the end of verse 4, many will go here and there, it's referring to people quickly running to and fro, trying, now get this, trying to find answers to important questions, especially in reference to what's going to happen in the future. So Daniel, we're at the end of the book. You've seen all these visions. This is the last vision, beginning in verse chapter 10, when you were on the banks of the Tigris. I'm telling you how it's all going to, to finish up, but I want you to preserve, close up and seal, protect these words for future generations until the time of the end. And people are going to go here and there to try to find out answers to these questions, especially as it refers to the future. But you are going to have the answers in the book that I've given to you. And so that's what Daniel's being told. Close it up, seal it until the time of the end because people are going to need these answers. They're going to look for these answers and the answers are going to be found in the book that I've given to you. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. Remember where he is going back to chapter 12? Is that the Tigris? So he sees two persons on each side of the the river. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand, his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying. So you got these two angelic creatures on each side, And you've got the man clothed in linen. We read about the man clothed in linen in chapter 11. And it's a description of Christ. And so, as we saw in chapter 11, so they say to this appearance of Christ, who's above the waters, one of them says, how long is this going to, how long is this going to be? And he stretches both hands as a a symbol of absolute uh, solemnity and truth, swearing by God and saying, here's how long it will be. In verse 7, it will be for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. And then verse 7 or excuse me, verse, uh, verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of this be? So, Daniel hears the answer, but he doesn't fully get it. It implies that the angel who asked did, but... But Daniel didn't, but he also asked a little bit different question. You know, the angel had asked Christ, when will this happen? When will these things be? And verse 8, Daniel is asking, what will be the outcome? How is it going to turn out for my people? And then he gets, uh, he gets the answer. Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, 
but those who are wise will under will understand so what's the outcome going to be he says daniel go your way not physically get out of here but this is the end of the the conversation you have heard everything that you need to have these words are going to be sealed they're going to be preserved they're going to be protected and the end time generation, at the time when this happens, when this three and a half year time times and half a time occurs in the future, when that happens, they will have these words because they've been preserved and protected. And they're going to be comforted by and encouraged by the words of the book that you've, you've written. Daniel's questions, although not directly answered here, they're not ignored by God. <laughs> they're just answered later. So Scripture answers the full outcome of all of this, not in the book of Daniel, but later in places like the book of Revelation, about 600 years later. God speaks through a guy named John, exiled on an island called Patmos, and he gives us the book of Revelation and fills in the details that, that Daniel started. Now there's a lesson for us. Um, Daniel was to be content with what God gave him. And God has given us the full scripture. But even giving us the full Bible now, the Bible's complete, no more books being added. Hasn't been another book added for 2,000 years. Won't be until the Lord returns. We have it. But does the Bible have everything in it that you want to know? And the answer is no. But does it have everything in it that you need to know? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> and that's what the deal was with Daniel. Daniel, you've got everything you need to know now. God fills in the details later, but Daniel was to be content with what God had provided. Verse 10 says, Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. The wicked will be continue to be wicked, and none of the wicked will understand. So, purified, made spotless, and, and refined. These are the same words that were used back in chapter 11 and verse 35 where God says, I am going to chasten my people Israel through this despicable person who's going to come who turned out to be Antiochus Epiphanes. But here now it's being said that at the end, after all of that, indeed that purifying, that being made spotless, that refining is actually, Daniel, going to have good effect. Because my people are going to understand, but the wicked are not. Now, the Bible speaks of that contrast between God's people being able to understand and those who are not God's people being unable to, to get it in a number of places. One of those is 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. That the things that come from the Spirit of God, it says in that verse, are not accepted by the man who does not have the Spirit. Those things are not accepted, they're not welcomed, they're not received. Then it goes on to say, the reason is, is because they're foolishness to him. Because they have to be spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And so this is precisely what Daniel is being told. There will be some people who, through my refining process, back in chapter 11, verse 35, even using people like Antiochus Epiphanes to chasten 
and purify and refine and make spotless my people, some of them will come through that and indeed they will gain this, this spiritual insight. And then verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Yikes. We've had 1,260 days, right? The three and a half years. Time, times, half a time, 42 months. But now you're throwing in another 30 days. Okay, and then let's throw in another 45 days on top of that. So we've got this extra 75 days. So what are these extra 30 and 45 days about? Well, actually in the verse, in verse 11, it kind of gives you, it starts to give you the answer because it's connected to the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, the abomination that causes desolation is, is set up. So this abomination that causes desolation, the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple in the middle of the seven-year period. He's going to break the covenant that he made at the beginning by offering an abominable sacrifice on the temple in, in the temple in Jerusalem. And that's why it's called an abomination that, that causes desolation. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew chapter 24. He says, when you see that time come... You know the time of the end is, is near. When, and he refers to that very phrase, abomination that causes desolation. So it's going to happen, it's going to happen then. And remember there was that, that the first half is 1,260 days, the second half is 1,260 days. So why an extra 30 days attached to this abominable sacrifice? Here's why. They're going to take 30 days to purify the temple after this abominable sacrifice has been offered. 30 days to purify the, the temple. You see the same kind of thing that uh, happened in the time of King Hezekiah. In Second Chronicles 30, Second Chronicles 30, verses 2 through 4, he postponed the celebration of Passover for a month because the priests had not consecrated themselves, and the people had not been gathered to Jerusalem. The Bible says the thing was right in the sight of the king and all the assembly. Same thing happened when, remember, Jacob Maccabeus uh, rededicated the temple after Antiochus had desecrated it in the 2nd century B.C. They had a period of time where they rededicated the temple. So there'll be this 30-day period of rededicating the, the temple. And there'll be this other 45, 45 day period. And what is that about? Well, there is the judgment of the nations that's going to take place at the end. And there's going to be a period of several weeks in which the nations are judged, and judged in particular with regard to how they have treated God's people, Israel, over the years. And so the middle of the seven years, the temple is desecrated. At the end of the seven years, there's going to be a retaking of the temple. The Antichrist will be defeated. It will be 
rededicated 30-day period for that, 45-day period for the judgment of the nations. So you've got this 75-day 75 75-day 75 period. And then last verse of Daniel. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So, you know, Daniel has heard all of this stuff about <laughs> Gentile history and four world kingdoms and all the stuff that's going to happen to the nation of Israel and a little horn that's going to come and the Antichrist and Antiochus and all of that. And Daniel, with all of that, you personally now will take your rest and at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So take comfort yourself, Daniel. Now, with all of that, we can put it all together with a chart that some of you have because I've given it out in other classes that we've, we've had. Thank you. But let's just take a minute to go over it because it will summarize all the stuff we've been looking at. And then we'll be done. So you guys will pass those around. And let's just uh, take a look. I'll go through it quick if you have to leave. Doesn't hurt my feelings. But here is all of this stuff that is going to happen. Where are we? Upper left-hand corner. You see the little church building there? That would be our ministry center here. Okay. <laughs> Looks like a church, doesn't it? And notice in the black line underneath it how many years that goes for. See the question mark? We don't know because the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture. And we don't know when that's going to happen, but it could happen at any time. But there is the, the rapture. And then, after the rapture, there is the inauguration of the seven-year period called the tribulation. The black line again, three and a half years and three and a half years. And you see the different events that are going to happen. At the beginning, there's the rise of the Antichrist. And at the end, the second three and a half years, there's the rule of the Antichrist. And then there's the stuff that happens in or near the middle. So all of that is listed for you there. And at the end of that uh, seven-year period, there is the second coming of the Lord. So there's the rapture, but then seven years later, Jesus actually is not in the clouds and receiving us as he catches us up, but rather he's coming back. And he comes back to earth. And by the way, we come with him. And we take names at Armageddon. <laughs> okay? And the Antichrist is defeated, and there's the final battle at Armageddon. And then there's this 75-day period. Remember where you're going to have the now purification of the temple and the judgment of the nations. So you see that listed in the middle on the left. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 25. And then there's the millennium. Millennium's the Latin word for a thousand. So that's the thousand year kingdom spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. And then at the end of the thousand year kingdom, you see that little flame thing there? There's a rebellion. Well, there's a rebellion because remember when we read at the beginning of Revelation 20, you know, Satan was thrown, the serpent was placed into the abyss, and he was locked there, but he'll be loosed for a season. Do you remember we read that? So at the end of the thousand years, he's loosed. 
a rebellion. But then he is finally and put down. And then there is what we call the eternal state. That's what we normally think of as heaven. And there'll be a new heaven and a new, a new earth. And uh, eternity after that. So those are all the events. This is from Dr. McCune at the seminary. It's all very accurate. It's all very helpful. And it's a summation of everything I've been blathering about. For uh, Now, I said, where's the great white throne? And I drew a blank on where it is. It was right in Revelation 20. You see it listed on here. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 speaks of at the beginning the millennium, the thousand years. But then in verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small. So I read the verse right after it. That's where it says, verse 11, the great white throne. And that's where the unbelievers will stand before the Lord and be, and be judged. Okay? All right. Thanks. See ya.